Come and do. 
present in moments of worship. And so, Lord, as we continue to worship you, as we continue to give you the praise that you alone are worthy of in this house. As a matter of fact, God, as we breathe our praises out to you, would you breathe your glory upon us? Would you just give us the great exchange as we take the breath that you've given us in the first place?
Father, in Jesus' name, we just speak healing into the digestive system. We just speak healing into that system in the name of Jesus. I thank you, God, for giving healing. You're giving us this word, not just so that we call call it out, but you're giving us this word because you're going to heal that area. I thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. I also was hearing the Lord speak to me about a left knee, early service, and I'm feeling it again this second service. Got problems in your left knee, in particular, maybe sometimes it feels like bone on bone when you bend it, when you move it. That right now the Lord will give you healing. Maybe you've even had surgery on the left knee and it didn't go well in the past. And the Lord wants you to know it's okay. He's even a better physician than your physician was. So right now, in Jesus' name, we're releasing healing into the left knee. That is healing that the Lord has for you. In Jesus' name healing that he has for you, that he has for your body. We just give you that today. We give you that today. Matthew Anderson, would you mind coming up here? Matthew came up to me during worship and he felt like the Lord had a word uh, that you had given him and I, I just feel like 
So God, I thank you that our sons and daughters will prophesy. Our sons and daughters will prophesy. They'll see visions. And we receive that today, that you have a word for each of us. Not one of us will be left behind. We thank you for that, Father. Thank you, God. Shame has to go. Fear has to leave. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you what, at this time, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to have our not-too-young-children's ministry. That would be our kindergartners up until fifth grade, until our fifth graders. And uh, they are not too young to carry the anointing of the Lord. They are not too young to learn to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We're going to release them to head back to, the, to their class today. Tell you what, um, if you see somebody that you love, say hello. And if you see somebody that's aggravated, just say hi. Would you do that? Say hi to somebody that's aggravated you. Hello to somebody that you love. Go ahead and do that this morning.
Good morning, friends. Everybody take a look back at the sound booth. Hasn't JD done an incredible job today working sound? I just, I want this to be a testimony to you that even if you're Amish, you still can know, you, even the Amish know how to work a sound system, all right? Come on, JD, show that thing off. Just to look at that thing. My goodness. So, uh, we always we always compliment the worship team. Thanks to the sound guy, we appreciate we appreciate the sound guy, the the visual team. We appreciate all they do. If it is your first time to visit Faith Chapel, we're absolutely honored that you stopped by today. Uh, please, before you leave, stop by the welcome center. Uh, meet one of our hostesses back there at the welcome center today. They will give you a a, a Faith Chapel gift bag with all sorts of Faith Chapel merch. Is that the way to say it? Right? All right, we got some FC merch. Um, we're going to be moving locations soon. You all know that we've got a building. We're going to be moving soon. I suspect that new merch will probably come along with the transition, new merchandise. It usually happens that way. That means the value of this stuff is going to skyrocket. On, on, the, on the Craigslist and on uh, eBay, on that open market, this is so, if you're a guest, this is a chance for some free money. Make sure you stop by there. When Faith Chapel moves, this merchandise is going to be worth a lot. So I'll just let you know that right up front. Uh, let me just share a couple of quick announcements with you. First of all, Wednesday night this week, we've got our men's Bible study right here. Doors open at 630. The study begins at 7. We're doing a three-week intensive on the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we've had them in operation today. We've seen them just in operation in, in this service, in the first service. We are so grateful for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend time on that this Wednesday. Next thing I'm going to mention is this afternoon, if you've been through the FC Basics class in Peacemakers, please join me for the membership class at the Faith Chapel office location uh, just off of Bryan and Fizey Road, if I remember that. Yeah, Bryan and Fizey. <laughs> I do work there. You would think I would remember where it's located. So members class at 4 o'clock today. If, if you are involved in this church and you're like, man, I want to become a member of this house, we would be honored for you to become a member of this house and to get connected that way. So please join us for that, okay? And the last one is this. Next week, Pastor Carrie, our children's pastor, who is doing an incredible job in children's ministry, she will be teaching this class, Milestone 1. If you uh, want to participate in one of our baby dedication classes at or opportunities at Faith Chapel, we ask that you would take this class. This class is all about learning the spiritual formation of our children. How many know that God's Word says train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're older they won't depart from it? How many know it doesn't say take a kid to church and they'll live for Jesus forever? Because it's not about a service. It is about the home. From the moment we get up to the moment we lie down, what we are investing into our children. And that is something that we want all of us to be partnering with in our lives. And Pastor Kerry will be teaching this at 1 o'clock here at this location next Sunday. So before I introduce our speaker for today, we had a guest sneak in the door on us. And I want them to, I asked him if he would come up and greet us. How many know Noel Kinney? You know Pastor Noel? Well, this is one of his dear Irish brothers, Michael McNamee from Ireland with the Convoy of Hope. Come on up, Michael. God bless you, sir. I asked him if he'd come up and say hi. His daughter and son-in-law are here today. I've been we've been trying to connect for six months. So, please. 
Noel Canny is married. He's from New Zealand with a Syrian accent. Noel Canny's from Dublin, which is okay. I'm from Belfast, which is incredible. But the difference between Dublin and Belfast, you can understand some of what Noel Canny says, you'll never understand what anything I say. It's an incredible privilege to be here. We started Convoy of Hope Europe 13 years ago. 256 projects, 1.6 million, and 52 churches later, I stand in front of you and say, thank God for America. The greatest country in the world is America, not just because 42 Americans are Irish. <laughs> Did you know that 17 American presidents had Irish blood in them? The rest of them are fault. But it's so nice. <laughs> I just want to thank you on behalf of Convoy of Hope across the world for your tremendous sacrifice. Tremendous. What you've done for Convoy of Hope is going to be the change that's happening in Europe as I want to change the rest of the world. It's an incredible privilege to be here. I think we, we, we looked at this morning. You're not speaking to your wife. He <laughs> <laughs> lives. God bless you. Bye-bye. We love Ireland. And most of the people that visit here from there, we love <laughs> most of them. So, so grateful to have them with us today. I am going to introduce our speaker for this morning. Uh, you guys know her. She has uh, co-pastored this church here for 21 years. But I, I just want to mention this. Um, one thing that I love, uh, well, there's a lot of things that I could talk about when I talk about loving Beth Riley. But one of the things that I want to mention is it's a privilege to do ministry with someone and to do life with someone that's the same when they're on the platform as they are at home, as they are at the office, as they are in it. And Beth Riley, you guys know, and I thank you for the excitement. Beth Riley uh, walks this out every single day. This is who she is. And the Lord gave her a word about shame that she's shared at several places this year already at a conference in North Dakota, in Illinois, in Ireland. Um, and we're going to start a two-week series about dealing with shame, and I believe God's going to use it for a lot of liberty for, for every one of us. We need this liberty. We need this freedom. And so I am looking forward to what she has to share today. Would you give it up for Pastor Beth as she comes up this morning? It's so sweet to be introduced like that at my own church. It's kind of crazy. But God did give me a message this year. Um, around March, and and he he really taught me a lot about shame, and I did a lot of studying about shame. I watched a lot of messages about shame. I started looking in the Word to see where shame first entered the scene, because it is prevalent in our lives. It's prevalent in the church, and it's prevalent outside of the church. And so we need to deal with this this epidemic that has honestly started in the garden. Before I start, though, I would like everyone to stand, and we're going to just um, open this time with of, um, this message with prayer. One of the things that I realize in doing ministry is that the enemy wants to keep us from hearing truth. He wants to. He doesn't want us to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And, and so we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to push back push back the spirit of shame and deception and manipulation and so we can hear the truth of what God has to say for us, to us 
And I'm also going to just take a moment of silence, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, show me if there's something that I am partnering, in some way I'm partnering with shame. Is there a situation I've been through? Is there something I've done? Is there something that's been done to me that I'm partnering with shame and it's in my life? And right now, even as I'm talking about it, the Holy Spirit's bringing some stuff to your remembrance right now. And so we're just going to take a moment to just pray, okay? If everybody would just bow their heads and close their eyes. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're the God that sees us. I thank you that you're the God that created us. I thank you that you do all things well. I thank you for your word that's anointed and powerful. And that it, it, it cuts deep inside our soul. It reveals things to us that we need to know. I thank you for that, Lord. I also thank you that you are calling this house to a deeper revelation of your redeeming, redemptive power. I thank you for that, Father. And I just take authority over any spirit of shame that's hanging out in this house. We just rebuke that in the name of Jesus and we tell it to go. Any lying spirit or manipulative spirit, we tell it to go in the name of Jesus. Condemnation, you have to go in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the only spirit welcome in this house. And that you lead us into all truth. And you do that so kindly and so lovingly. And we thank you for that, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Shame is real. It's absolutely real. And if you doubt me, you won't by the end of the message. Shame's a real thing. It's not just a name and it's not just a feeling. There's actually a spirit associated with shame. Shame keeps us bound in our sin, keeps us bound from relationships. It keeps us loving and leading the way we're called to love and lead, the way God's called us to desire us to step up and to lead for his kingdom. Shame is a prison. It's an absolute prison, and it isolates us from relationships. There's no freedom, no joy, no peace when shame's in operation in our lives. Simply said, shame is demonic. Shame is demonic. And Jesus wants us free from shame. We all know that the enemy loves to accuse us of our past and of things that have happened to us, of choices that we've, we've made, temptations that have come our way. Isn't it amazing that he even accuses us of temptations? Like, well, you were tempted in that way. Well, yeah, I was, but I didn't do it. And he still tempts us. He still accuses us and shames us because of that. He shames us because of things that other people did to us that we have no responsibility for at all. He will use shame to get access to your life and your soul in so many different ways. And we as a church need to start to recognize this. When this is played out, when shame is prevalent in the church and this is played out, it is devastating to the local body of Christ. And not just the local body of Christ, if all of the bodies of Christ are partnering with the spirit of shame, even unaware, and then all of us come together, guess what we are? Just shame-filled. We're shame-filled. One of the things that I've loved about pastoring this long now, I mean, there's so many 
Like, I have no negative. I love pastoring. I think it's the best job on the whole planet. Like, I just would never trade it for anything. But in 21 years of pastoring, we've got to see different seasons that, that the Holy Spirit has brought us through. I'm going to focus on the last 11 because it's the most recent, and I have short-term memory loss, and so I can't remember the previous 10. But I'm going to focus on the last 11. One of the things that the Lord did as we moved into this house, he had already begun it at um, uh, Francis House Central where we were meeting, but he really moved in with the healing revival. And that healing revival, there were signs and wonders that were just, oh, spectacular that just gets you wondering about the goodness of God. It just calls you into a deeper relationship with Him. It's beautiful. And there were healings that were taking place, physical healings, emotional, spiritual healing. And God was awakening, awakening His church to inner healing and, and the redemptive power of the blood of Jesus to take you through every situation. It was, it was amazing. And, and we're still in that process to some degree. And, and now we're walking on what the foundation that he's been building, right? The last couple of years, he's really, really been wanting us to understand our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, and the authority. We talk a lot about the Basiliah, the authority of the kingdom. And you have to know who Jesus is, and you have to know who you are in order to carry the authority out, um, out of this house and, and into the world. But I feel like there's a shift that's coming in the body of Christ in this house in particular. And, and it, the Lord started speaking to me in about March. And I went to Brad and I was like, hey, this is what I'm sensing. And he's like, yeah, I'm sensing the same thing. I'm like, what is it going to look like? He's like, I don't know. And, um, but one of the things that I feel like God is getting ready to do is he's getting ready to transition the house. And it's so interesting that we ended up purchasing a building in the last couple of weeks. So it's so interesting, not really. It's timely, right? But I feel like he's getting ready to transition us. Everything we've learned about the signs and wonders of God, about identity of who we are in Christ, about the authority that we have in Christ, about the fact that God wants to redeem every moment of our lives, all of that is setting us up for this moment. When he begins to call us to stand up and to open our mouth and to begin to share from the depths of who we are what God has redeemed us from. It's the call of God to carry the gospel. And we do that out of relationship. We do that in loving relationships with one another. And I believe that as we transition and as we move into a new house, there's going to be people, and I have never said this ever in 21 years of ministry, Believe me, I've never said, if you build it, they will come. I've never done it. It has never worked for us. We have built playgrounds. We have built slides. We have blown up inflatables. And I have danced around in crazy costumes, and they still don't come. But I am telling you, the Holy Spirit is getting ready to release some new things that are getting ready to happen, and new people are going to start coming in. And I am telling you, Faith Chapel, if we don't deal with our shame, we will inadvertently push people out the door because we haven't dealt with who we are and what he's brought us through. And therefore, we can't love vulnerably and we can't be transparent about what he's done. And we will actually reject the very people we've been trained to come into the house. We have to deal with this issue. God wants
wants to take your shame so that you can walk fully and truly in your identity and walk in love and unity. Unity is so important in the body of Christ. You cannot function the way God called you to function in the body of Christ without unity. God started talking about this a long time ago. But there's a beautiful verse in Psalms 103 where we see the anointing of the high priest Aaron. And we see this illustrated as he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And back then, the anointing was represented in the oil that was poured down over Aaron's head. So this oil was poured. Psalms 103 gives a beautiful description of it. From the head, it flowed down through the beard, onto the the priestly garment, all the way down to the end of his garment. It's a beautiful illustration of unity. That as we are underneath the headship of Christ, as the anointing of the Holy Spirit is given freedom to flow through the body of Christ, we will see unity that will be that will be expansive in the house. Every one of you, every one of you, are so vital to the next phase of what God is getting ready to do at Faith Chapel. Everyone, there's not one person that's not important, from the youngest to the oldest. And I think it's so interesting that God chose to use a young man who's what, 12, maybe, 11, how old's Matthew? Nine. I love it even more. The Holy Spirit's not little in a nine-year-old. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And I think it's so beautiful that today he used a nine-year-old to say, hey, God has a message for you. He has a message for you. Every one of you, from the youngest to the oldest, is extremely important in the body of Christ. You know, right now, I'm being the mouthpiece. This is not a job I want to be. I would much rather be a knee. You know what I'm saying? But some of us feel bad about the position we have in the body of Christ. Every toe, every finger, everyone is important in the body of Christ. And if you doubt me, how many of you have broken a toe? And you realize how very important that toe is, right? So sometimes we don't acknowledge the part of our body that we give lesser honor to until it's hurting. And then all of a sudden we're like, wow, that's really important. God wants us to know today that every single person in this house is important. Your story is important. What he's redeemed you from is important. God's word says that he's redeemed our lives from a pit. And he's crowned us with love and compassion. He's redeemed your life from a pit. What is the pit that he's redeemed you from? Do you know? Have you thought about that before? Or is it something that you push down and you don't think about? And I want to talk to you today. If you push your story down and you don't think about the redemption of God and what he's done in your life, And if you're holding hostage your story of redemption because of shame, I just want you to know that you're also holding someone else's freedom hostage as well. There's nothing in the economy of God, there's nothing in the kingdom of God that is worthless. There's nothing. Everything you've been through, every single thing you've walked through is for a purpose. Nothing is wasted in the economy of the kingdom of God. Every tear, every pain, 
every, every addiction, every sin, God will use it all for his glory. Everything is used for the glory of God. I love the verse that says that he takes, he exchanges the, the ashes of our lives for beauty. We see that verse um, in Isaiah, and I'm skipping around towards the end there. I'm sorry, I'm going to give you a gift for this, okay? Isaiah 61.3 says this, To provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, despair, and they will be called oaks of righteousness. That is what God is calling Faith Chapel to be, oaks of righteousness. From the moment we moved in this space, from the moment we moved in this space, the Lord gave me this verse to speak and declare over Faith Chapel. And if you don't believe it, boys, what is there a picture of in the bathroom? A giant tree, a giant oak tree, because I wanted that to be ever before us, that he's getting ready to turn us into oaks of righteousness. God wants to, to exchange the grieving that you have in your heart. Is it grieving because of sin choices? Is it grieving because of mourning? Is it grieving because of something that's been done to you or said or spoken over you? I am telling you, you do not have to stay in a state of grieving. You can move from ashes to beauty. You can move from mourning to joy. You can have praise instead of a garment of despair. And it starts today. It starts today. Thank you, God. Isn't that great? In North, in North Dakota, they would have cheered. But that's okay. That's okay. Thank you, thank you. Earlier this year, we started the year with a series called SB Fearless. And I felt compelled to go back and to look at that message this week as I was preparing. And I opened up that message with a couple of questions. And I'm going I'm to re-ask those questions to you. But I'm going to put it in the context of your story, your testimony, what God has brought you through, what he saved you from. And I want you to think about this in that context. The question we asked earlier in the year was, what if we were actually a fearless church? What if we were actually a fearless church? What if we were fearless and trusting God in every situation? Fearless and trusting him in every situation, including telling your story of redemption. What if we were fearless in that? Wow. What if we were fearless in sharing our hope of Christ? What if we were actually fearless and truly loving each other? To truly love someone, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be transparent. There's no fakeness in true love. True love actually accepts you for who you are and, and walks with you through challenges. What if we actually loved each other in this house that way and we loved people who God's getting ready to bring into this house that way? What if we truly, truly loved our neighbor? What would it look like in our lives? It's convicting for me. I'm the, I'm the first one to come in from a busy day and shut my garage.
garage and just deal with my stuff. And I know that my neighbor has cancer. I know that he's hopeless. I know that she's hopeless without Jesus. And I excuse my behavior for not reaching out by saying, well, they're busy and they don't want. I've, I've tried to talk to them about Jesus, and they really aren't interested. What if we truly love our neighbor? How would this world look? How would O'Fallon look if we truly loved them? What would we look like if we fearlessly were obedient to God, fearless in giving our story and giving our time to other people? Being truly vulnerable, being truly transparent, and really thinking about that in terms of also being fruit, um, fearless is really a powerful connection that we can make today. How can we be a fearless church and a shame-free church? And I want to propose to you today that we've just become a judgment-free zone. I'm not going to judge you because of your crap, and I don't want you to judge me because of my crap. What I really need is somebody to come along and say, well, you're in a pile of crap. <laughs> that looks really bad. But I'm not going to judge you for that. I actually have a word of truth to speak into that situation. I can actually pull you out of that and walk with you to the destiny that God has for you. I don't want you to stay put in this, in this place. Wouldn't it be great if we did that? No more judging each other. And I know, I know that people are like, is there something going on? No, there's nothing going on. I just know what's going on. Nobody's had to say anything to me. Nobody's come to me and say, oh, somebody's talking about somebody else. No. It's the, I'm telling you, we have got to stop it. We have got to stop it. Your gluttony, your slander, your gossip, your hatred, your anger is no different than somebody else in the eyes of God. Lust, sin, adultery, murder. Sin is sin. Can I get an amen? Sin is sin. And I'm so tired of a church, the church, the overall church categorizing like, this is a really good sin, like we're comfortable in this sin, but we're not comfortable in this sin over here. And so we will kind of shun the person who's operating in this sin while we're all the time operating in our own sin. We're very comfortable with gossip, slander. We're very comfortable with this being disobedient to what God called us to do. And we're really, really good about pointing our fingers at everybody else. And I just want to say this. God's getting ready to send in some messy people. Really messy. And I love that. I love it. The messier, the better. You know why? Because God wants to redeem their lives from the same kind of pit he redeemed your lives from. And some of you have been redeemed from messy, messy, messy situations, and yet you stay silent about what God has brought you through for fear of being judged and looked out upon. And I'm telling you, that is shame. It's absolutely shame. We should actually be the first ones to say, my life was a mess. I was in a pit. And God redeemed my life from a pit. And he crowned me with love and compassion. And he can crown you with the same love and compassion. And I'm going to help you get out of your pit. And I'm going to bring you to the one who can redeem you and heal you and save you and give you freedom. I'm going to do just that. But we can't do it 
if we're in shame. We can't do it. So as a church, we're going to make a declaration today. We're going to acknowledge our sin. We will acknowledge our sin and the things that hinder us. Hebrews 12 says this, to throw off everything that hinders. What's a hindrance in your life? Because it goes on to say, and the sin that so easily entangles. So there are hindrances that we have in our lives that we are very comfortable living with. And those hindrances can become sin that becomes entangling in our lives. God's word says to throw off everything that hinders. And guys, what does that mean? It means different things in everybody's life. Everybody's life. Everybody has different hindrances. We can't judge each other's hindrances. Some of you guys play video games and girls play video games for 12 hours a day. Newsflash, hindrance. I mean, just a hindrance. Some of you watch things that are demonic in nature. Guess what? Hindrance. And some of you are that, that watch things in, that, that uh, sit and don't watch those things are judging the people who do. How about, let's say, hey, you know what? I used to do that. I used to do that. And then one day I woke, one night I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a demon in my room. Bad idea. Let's close the door. You know what I mean? And so instead of judging each other, why don't we help each other out? Why don't we let people that we're in relationship with know the things God's redeemed us from? I'm not asking for you to start sharing all your garbage on Facebook. Please don't. That would be not wise. I'm not asking you to cause woundedness in other people's lives when you just come up to somebody and say, hey, Mr. Jack, I just want to let you know, and then you vomit all over him. That is not what I'm asking you to do. I am asking you to walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit. If he tells you to share your story, I'm asking you to share your story. That's what I'm asking you to do. So as a church, our declaration, we will acknowledge our sin and the things that hinder us. We will, we will give those things to the Lord in repentance. We will repent for our sin. We will grow in the image of Christ as a body. We will grow in the image of Christ as a body. We will renew our minds. How do we do that, church? In the Word. We will renew our minds in the Word. Some people will say to me, I just don't want to serve Jesus. But I know I'm supposed to. Well, I'm going to ask you the question, how much time are you spending in the Word? How much time are you spending in the Word? I love worship. Worship is fantastic. I listen to it all the time. But it doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say worship renews your mind. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says the Word renews our mind. Some of us need to stop listening to 15 hours of worship and listen to the Bible. So we can have a renewing of the mind. So we can become more like Christ. I'm not saying don't leave. Do not leave here. Saying that I said worship is bad. But worship does not renew our mind. It just doesn't. It's the Word of God. It's the Word. Now, some worship has the Word in it. I give you that. But let's get in the Word, church. Let's become a Word church. Pastor Brad's been speaking about that. We need the power gifts and we need the Word to stand on. We're going to, as a church, rest in our identity as a child of God, resting in our identity. 
and we're going to share our story of redemption. So these are the things we talked about as a church, our declaration as a church. Acknowledge our sin and the things that hinder us. Give our, those things to Christ in repentance. Grow in the image of Christ. Renew our minds. Rest in our identity as a child of God and share our story of, repent, of redemption to those around us. As a church, we're going to be focusing on these items so that we can see this community come to Christ. It is time to get over our little issues and give them to Jesus and get over our big issues and give them to Jesus and actually be willing and open to bring somebody along to Christ. Amen? Is that great? So, I'm asking you guys to begin to think about, this is just a pastor, isn't it? I'm asking you to begin to think about, just think about it, actually becoming transparent with each other. This is a judge-free zone from this point forward. It always has been, but I'm just declaring it. Years ago, we said it was a gossip-free zone. There was some crazy gossip going on about crazy stuff. Pastor Brad got up here and said, we're not doing that. It stops today. It's the same thing about judgment. I want this to be a judgment-free zone, a shame-free zone, so we can be transparent. I'm telling you right now, if we're not transparent, we're not going to see freedom breaking free in the lives of the people we love. One of the things I've seen over the last 20 years 21 years of ministry, probably 20 because I wasn't engaged the first year. I was freaking out that we were actually pastors. So 20 years. Um, I've had different people come to me at different times very concerned about their children or very concerned about a, a sibling or a husband or a wife. You know, like they're really partnering with sin and I can see the cliff they're getting ready to fall off of. And I'm like, well, how do you feel like the Lord's revealed that to you? Well, because I've been through it myself. I mean, I went through what I see in them, and I know what's getting ready to happen, and, and I just don't know what to do. Let me give you an example, some big ones. You know, we don't like to talk about things that we all struggle with, so let's use some that are just random struggles that we hide really, really well. Okay? Let's do, like, maybe adultery or premarital sex. Careful. I've had so many people come to me and say, I don't, I don't know what to do in this situation. I, I know what the Holy Spirit's telling me, that my child is getting ready to, to fall into that sin. And I don't know what to do. And I look at them, loving eyes, and I'm like, well, are you the parent? Well, yes, I'm the parent. Well, then God has positioned you to be intentional in teaching truth and speaking truth over your child's life. What is the question you have? Well, how can I tell my daughter and my son to not have premarital sex when I had premarital sex? Isn't that kind of hypocritical? Well, how did that go for you when you chose to do that sin? What was the fruit of that in your life? Insecurity? fear. Some people have told me I had an abortion. Their families don't know. Venereal diseases that I'm hiding even to this day. It was not a good decision and I'm so worried about my kids. And I want to scream as loud as I can. 
if God has redeemed you from this pit, how dare you remain silent and not tell your story of redemption and what he saved you through simply because of shame. I don't want them to know that I struggled with that sin. Well, were you perfect? Did Jesus die in vain for you? Because if we, if we stand up here haughty, if we sit in our, on our couches in our home and we look at our teenagers and instead of coming alongside, lovingly coming alongside them and saying, let's talk this through, I see where you're headed, it is a dead end, it is not good. If we just sit here pious like we've never sinned in our lives, you are living a facade. There's no reason for Jesus to die for you. Why did he die for you if you're already perfect? He died for you because you're a sinner, saved by grace. You have sin. Can we all admit it? You have a story. Can we all admit it? And your story is not wasted in the economy of heaven. There is a purpose for that story that you've walked through. And God wants to use it. But if we are bound by shame, we will not speak it to our children, and we will not declare it outside these doors. Jesus isn't walking the earth anymore in bodily form. He has placed his spirit inside of you for you to walk this earth and you to be Jesus to the people that you see. How dare we? Hold the redemptive gift of Christ just hostage and not share it with those we love? How dare we let somebody walk in the same pit that we walked in, that we fell in and we couldn't get out of because of shame? Pits are very scary because one pit can lead to another. It's almost like they just get deeper and deeper. Why do we think that is? Somebody's been abused, and then they start, they start just going down the spiral, drinking to cover their pain, doing drugs to cover their pain. Maybe they've been rejected, and so they do things to medicate themselves. And if we could just come, if we could all just be very transparent, like, hey, this is what's happened to me. Can you meet with me? Can you talk to me? Can you help me walk through this? If we see somebody spiraling, instead of judging them, like, I cannot believe that that person is doing that behavior. They know better. Well, how about instead of judging them, we insert ourselves in their lives, and we try to build relationship with them, and we ask the Holy Spirit to give us some insights, and we actually sit down like real people and have a real conversation. I mean, it would be like if Caitlin was struggling, I could go to her and say, Caitlin, let's go, let's go shopping. It's my favorite hobby. Let's go to Von Mar, we'll get a coffee, and we'll walk through the sale roundhouse. And then I want to go out to dinner with you. Would you like to do that? Would you like to? We're going to do that sometime. That'd be awesome. And, and instead of just looking at Caitlin and saying, well, I, and I'm not saying you're rebellious at all. I'm just using that as an illustration. So therefore, I will take you to Von Mar, and we will go shopping, okay? Payment. But instead of judging her and saying, man, she's really getting an attitude and being a rebellious teenager. What do 
wouldn't it be much better for me to engage with her and find out what's really going on in her life and use my story to help her overcome the areas that the enemy's trying to trip her up in? Shame keeps us from doing this. Shame keeps us living a facade, and I am telling you, God is asking for us to step out and to become the children of God he's called us to do and to share our story. As a teacher, I absolutely hated starting this message this way. I love starting a message with a definition, a couple of illustrations, and some points. It's the scientist in me, and all night I kept trying to convince God that he was doing this message entirely incorrectly, and we needed to actually start with the definition of shame. But I am now at the definition of shame. I feel so much better. <laughs> okay, shame. Shame is defined as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. And this can be, this wrong or foolish behavior can be behavior that we have partnered with, that we have done, choices we have made. It can be wrong or foolish behavior, um, somebody else doing to us, that we have nothing to do with. And it's just been done to us, just like you've just been dumped on, right? Um, and it leaves us feeling completely out of control about the situation. And the reality is you weren't in control. If someone's done something to you, then, then you were out of control. You couldn't do anything about that situation. And yet the enemy will use shame to come in in those moments. I'm going to quickly wrap this up. We can recognize if we partner with shame, here's a couple things. If you partner with shame, you generally will see some of these characteristics in your life. Fear of exposure. Fear of exposure. Fear of intimacy. You never feel like you're good enough. You are devastated by criticism. You're overly critical of yourself, and you're overly critical of those around you. You operate in extremes. Get this. You operate in extremes. You find yourself enraged at people, and yet you're a people pleaser. So you're really, really mad at their behavior and how they're treating you, but you do every single thing you can to please them. That's shame in operation. You're motivated by what other people think about you. You're motivated by fear. You sabotage yourself by underperforming to avoid the risk of failure. You sabotage yourself by underperforming to avoid the risk of failure. That's shame. You struggle with self-hate or self-loathing. And I'm going to pause here. Self-hate and self-loathing is demonic. There has been a movement over the last 15 years of cutting and I don't know if you're over the age of 45, unless you work with children, you might not even know this. But literally, the enemy has targeted our youth and our college students. And, and when they feel bad about a situation, or they feel bad about themselves, or things that, that they just feel shame about, they will begin to cut themselves. How do we not see that this isn't demonic? How do we not see that? Jesus came to take our shame. And yet, there are some of us that the enemy has lied to us so much that we think cutting and, and letting the, our own blood flow actually covers our shame. 
Jesus already died on the cross. He already shed his blood for that shame, right? And yet, our youth and our college students feel this this urge to cut themselves, and they say, the scientists even say, there's a sense of euphoria, and there's a sense of, like, just a release of a covering of their pain and their shame when they do that. Body of Christ, wake up. This is the enemy trying to emulate what Jesus did on the cross. And because of shame, we don't tell anyone. Youth, college students, adults, if you are struggling in that area of cutting yourself, you must tell a trusted adult, a trusted youth worker, a trusted pastor, your parents, and you need to walk in freedom from the shame that the enemy is plaguing you with. We do not walk in self-hate or self-loathing. If we're partnering with shame, we measure our value by how we perform. Now, every root of shame has fruit, right? Every root produces fruit. Some of the fruit of shame are these things, insecurity and fear, condemnation, manipulation, control, guilt, judgment, isolation, and rejection. I want to talk about isolation and rejection. This is so interesting because God is all about relationship. He's all about relationship. The foundation of the gospel is relationship. God desiring a relationship with you, so he sends his son Jesus to open the door for relationship. And guess what shame tries to take away? Relationship. Now let's look here. Isolation and rejection. It's so funny to think about this, but usually if you're shame, if there's shame operating in your life, You like to isolate yourself from other people because of fear of exposure, because of fear of relationships. You don't really want people to know what you're going through. So you isolate yourself, but you're crying out on the inside for relationships because God created us to be relational people. And let me just say this. This is not a message just for women. This is a message for men too. Men and women were created for relationships. And often, we will isolate ourselves, and then we, the person who is holding on to shame, will reject everybody who reaches out to us. We will be the one to reject. And then the person we've rejected has to then walk through rejection. And they have to get healing from that. So it's very interesting how shame works. And also, another fruit of shame is disunity. And the last one is anger, disunity and anger. We see see anger, we see shame, we see control, we see guilt and rejection hanging out together all the time. These These are three spirits that kind of hang out together. So if there's shame in your life, you will most likely be dealing with a spirit of shame, a spirit of fear, and a spirit of control together. In your life, if you recognize that in your life, it's probably based out of shame. The other best friends of shame are shame and guilt and rejection. Those are three spirits that like to hang out together. If those are in operation in your life, you need to tell someone. Now listen, I know I'm talking to people who are dealing with shame. And what we want to do is hide. 
all the stuff we're dealing with. I'm asking you this week to be vulnerable and to reach out. Talk to your spouse. If you see these things in your life, you can even say, hey, do you see any of the fruits of shame in my life? I know it's very vulnerable, and it's going to be scary to have those conversations. Do you see control? Do you see guilt? Do you see rejection operating in my life? Guys, God says he came, Jesus came to set you free so that you have abundant life. He does not want you to live in bondage anymore. So let's be vulnerable and transparent with each other. Real quickly, I'm going to take five minutes, and I'm just going to introduce to you how shame came into the world. We find in Genesis chapter 2, we find a really awesome verse. It says, Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife, were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were both naked, and they felt no shame. We learn further on in the, the chapter in the book of Genesis that, that God actually walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the night. So Adam and Eve and God had a relationship. Adam and Eve naked, hanging out with God, having tea or coffee or whatever they did back in the day. They hung out together. There was relationship there. There was the desire of our hearts to have that kind of close relationship with God. Adam and Eve had it. How many of you would turn down a night stroll with God? Not me, man. I'm all in. I'm going to leave him on the couch, you know. I'm going to be like, God and me, we have a date to walk around Wing Haven tonight. He had that kind of relationship with Adam and Eve. But we, we turn the page to chapter 3, and we see how shame entered in the world. So we're going to read this together real quickly. First of all, Satan, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it real quick. Satan actually, Satan and Adam and Eve were hanging out together which I don't even know why you would talk to a serpent, but they thought that would be a good decision. And so Satan says to, to Adam, or says to Eve, hey, um, you're not supposed to eat from any of the trees, right? Is that what God said? Because Satan always makes obedience look bad. He always does. He always twists obedience. And Eve, in her, her brilliance at the moment, said, well, no. He, he said we could have any fruit of the tree in the garden except for this one tree, and Adam, and if we do, if we touch it, then we're going to die. And Satan's like, oh, you surely will not die, lie number one. He actually doesn't want you to know about this fruit because you'll become wise like him. And verse number five says, for God, for, Satan says, for God knew that when you eat from the, this tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, because sin is always what? Pleasing. And also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Now, I'm going to pause here. Because this story has not been told right for a very long time. I grew up in the church, and I always heard about Adam and Eve I always heard it was always Eve's fault. <laughs> it's always Eve's fault that she gave, you know, the fruit to Adam. Poor, innocent Adam. Just bringing, being brought down to the pit of hell by Jezebel. That's the kind of stuff I heard. But let's 
read what the word says, shall we? It says in verse 6, she also, so she ate the fruit, and she also gave some to her husband, and these are some key words, who was with her, and he ate it. Okay, girls, if your husband will let you talk to a serpent, there is a problem you need a new husband. I'm just going to throw it out there. Adam was hanging out with Eve, and they nakedly walked up to a serpent and started talking to him. They were naked, and they felt no shame. Right? And the serpent's like, well, why don't you try it? And she's like, well, it looks pretty good, and I think I want some wisdom, so I'm going to take that fruit from you, and I'm going to take a bite, and I'm going to turn to you and say, hey, buddy, do you want some too? Sure, I'll have some. It's going to be fantastic. And then something happened. At that moment of sin, shame entered into our world. And I am telling you this right now. If there is shame that comes with your sin, it's from the enemy. Condemnation and shame is not the same thing as conviction. And we're going to break that down next week. But I want to I finish this because something incredible happens in the garden. They sin and shame is released into the, into the world. And, and the very next verse says that Adam and Eve start sewing fig leaves together. First of all, how did they know how to sew? Secondly, what parts did they know to cover? These are questions that keep me up at night. But I guess the bumpy ones they covered, I don't know. How did they know? But they did. So they start making fig leaf clothing. And then God comes in for his midnight stroll with them. Sorry, I should keep these things at home. So God comes in for his midnight stroll with Adam and Eve, and he's like, hey, guys, where are you? Where were they? Heidi, what do we do when we sin? We try to cover it up, not with fig leaves, thank God, but we lie. We manipulate, we isolate, we do everything we can to cover up our sin, and then we hide. We hide from God, we hide from people who are going to hold us accountable, from loving, good, vulnerable relationships, we hide. Why? Because it's the way the enemy has worked since the beginning of time. If you are isolating yourself, you need to deal with your sin. Deal with your sin, deal with your stuff. Give it to Jesus and let him bring freedom for you. Satan is always present when there's shame. Always present. Next week we're going to talk about how God dealt with shame in the Old Testament and how God dealt with shame in the New Testament because he, he really said, my kids cannot be my kids. They can't act like my children. They can't walk in their identity as children of God if they're carrying shame around. So we have to do something. To release shame off of my kids. He dealt with it as a loving father in the Old Testament. And he dealt with it in the New Testament. We're going to talk about that. But one of the things I want us to think about tonight. And if, or today. If everybody will stand. We're just going to have a real short time of prayer. It's time to dump our shame. It's time. Some of you wives have been carrying stuff that you've gone through, that you went through in your childhood, that you went through in high school, and you have buried it so deep 
but your relationship with your spouse is so broken, utterly broken, and what you're doing is you're taking your shame and you're placing it on them, and they're walking in brokenness, and that's why there's brokenness in your marriage. Some of you guys have, you guys did things in high school and you, you participated in things in college that you feel shame about and you've never spoken about it and it's hindering your relationship with your wife and it's affecting your marriage and your family. It is time to come clean with our sin. It is time to realize it is under the blood of Jesus. It is time to come together as a body of Christ, no longer judging our sin, but giving it to Jesus and coming together side by side and throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled so we can walk in freedom and be shame-filled. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I have a couple of questions for you. How many of you know right now that God's dealing with you, that there is shame operating in your life? Just raise your hand. Shame is an operation. How many of you want it gone? Hands everywhere. How many of you want it gone? Just put your hand up. Let's just pray. Jesus, we give you this shame. We repent for our sins. We repent for holding on to all the things we've done in the past. We're going to make a great exchange. The blood of Jesus in exchange for our shame. We don't want shame anymore. We're not partnering with shame anymore. We're partnering with the Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us into all truth, that you break chains of bondage, that you give us an opportunity to walk in freedom. And we take that freedom today. And enemy, we are not partnering with shame anymore. We are partnering with the blood of Jesus and what he's done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Next week, we will talk about, oh, the word's so good, isn't it? So good. Next week, we're going to talk about how he dealt with shame in the Old Testament, how we dealt with shame in the New Testament. We're going to talk about how we have a tendency to follow the same patterns of Adam and Eve in our lives, and we're going to talk about the difference between conviction and and condemnation. We need to have very clear understanding of that in the body of Christ. See you guys next week. Amen.